0: as we get to the point. Let's grab your Bible, if you would, and go with me to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. I'm gonna read a couple of verses there, then we'll flip a page and uh, read in uh, chapter 23 as well. I did a little three-week series with you on acceptable worship, and so today is gonna be the fourth message uh, in that series. The Lord's really been doing a work in my heart about this important matter Of worship. Uh, I taught you for three weeks about a king who led a nation into bad worship, okay? King Jeroboam. How many of you remember that name? Okay. And so today I'm gonna uh, wanna flip the script a little bit and I wanna teach you about a king who led the nation uh, into spiritual biblical worship. He's a man named Josiah we find Josiah in 2 Kings 22, verse number one. Look at it with me. The verses will be up on the screen. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boskath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. I'm of you like Josiah already. Come on now. All right, flip one page and look at chapter 23 in verse number one. The king Josiah sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him the king went up to the house of the Lord and with him all the men of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people joined in the covenant. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Acceptable worship. What is acceptable to God? Look on the screen again. I want to give you that definition of worship, and I hope that you will memorize it and never forget it. That worship Is the God centered focus and response of the soul? It is being preoccupied with God. I want you to answer that question in your heart right now. Are you preoccupied with God? Is your attention and your focus on God? Maybe you're at a point in your life today when you need just a little bit of spiritual reformation or spiritual change. To get you back to where you truly are preoccupied with him. The year was 1517. If you know history, you know it was in the month of October. There was a man by the name of Martin Luther who went to the church at Wittenberg, and he nailed uh, to the door 95 theses. These were 95 things that he had identified that the church needed to change. He realized that the church had gotten off course And it needed to have a reformation and get back uh, to where God wanted it to be. The church veers. The same is true today in 2023. It is easy because we are all flesh tanks and because we all have the allurement of this world. It is easy for Christians, for the church to veer off in our spiritual worship, in our spiritual focus, and God wants to bring us back to where we need to be. It was true when Josiah became the king. The nation needed spiritual reformation. John Stott said that every church, hear this, that every church should be in a continuous spirit of self-reformation. Self-reformation. I was reading Jay Adams in his book on uh, spiritual disciplines or church disciplines, and he said this. He said, as Christians, we should never fear change we must believe in change so long as it is change-oriented toward godliness. The Christian life is a life of continual change. Now, let me ask you a question. I've been in church my whole life. Why is it that the word change in the church makes us nervous? Why is the word change, sometimes it has a connotation of a bad word in the church, when really change is the essence of the gospel. How many of you believe that? That that if you really know the gospel of Jesus Christ, you understand that Jesus changes your life. When you came to Christ, your Bible says that you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Here's what I know going up in the good old Bible Belt in the South. There are way too many people that have made a decision for Christ, but there's no change in their life. When you come to Jesus and Jesus saves you, he cleans you up and he changes you. The gospel of Jesus Christ says change. Josiah became the king and he assessed the nation and he begins to lead them in a spiritual reformation. Now, you want to talk about something that ought to make you nervous. Josiah became the king when he was eight years old. Anybody got an eight-year-old boy or an eight-year-old grandson? And and your thoughts about that would just be, I can't imagine him being the president of the United States. Eight years old when he began to reign. I want you to notice that 16 years of age 16 years old, he began to seek the Lord with all his heart. Look on the screen, 2 Chronicles 34 and verse number three, the parallel passage uh, to the story of Josiah. It says that while he was yet a boy, he began to seek God, the God of David, his father, in the 12th year of his reign when he was 20 years old he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and the ashram and the carved and the metal images. Think about this. At 20 years of age, he leads an entire nation in reform. Look at that impact. And I want to remind you today, church, that we must never underestimate how God uses young people in his kingdom work. We have to invest in them. We have to love them. We have to encourage them. We have to value them. As a matter of fact, if you would go back and study the history of revivals and reformations, you would at some point land in around 1734 in the revival at Northampton when Jonathan Edwards was actually uh, coming down pretty hard on the young people because they were being so irreverent toward the Sabbath day. And he was telling them, you're, you're frolicking. You're doing your own thing. You are disrespecting God. And it was through that, that a revival broke out. The young people began to get serious about their faith. There was a, there was an outbreak of small groups all over town and the young people were inviting the older people to come and join them. And Edward said, it all started with the young people. How many of you have heard the name George Whitfield, a great preacher in the the First Great Awakening. Do you know how old Whitfield was when he was preaching in the First Great Awakening? He was in his 20s. I remind you that God can use anybody, anywhere, at any time, at any age, to accomplish His will. What God is looking for today is for those of us who are available and surrendered to Him. Josiah is seeking God with all his heart. And I want to point out a couple things to you about this reformation, uh, this, this leading spiritual change in Josiah's life. And I want you to see in his life, first of all, that, that what Josiah did is, is he got serious personally. He got serious about himself. I don't know about you, but sometimes I fall into the trap of looking around, and, and I have twenty twenty 20 vision for what other people need to do. Anybody guilty of that? Man, they need to change their ways or we need, they need to do this or that or I need, I need to talk to them. I need to set them straight, right? Well, here's what Josiah does. He, he, he begins with himself. So for just a minute, I don't want you to think about them. I want you to think about you, your own life. Notice in the text I read for you in verse number two, it said that jo- Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Here's what I believe in the Christian community. I believe we need a reformation of just doing what is right. What if we all, what if we all were determined to just do what is right? God, give us the grace in this in this day of chaos and confusion and division. God, give us the grace to do what is right. Now, here's what I need you to see. Scripture says that Josiah's grandfather was King Manasseh. If you studied your Bible, you know that he was the most evil and wicked king in the land. Now, now we're grateful that we read in 2 Chronicles 33 that later on in his life that he repented of his ways, but but the reality is, historically, the, the, the damage in the nation was by and large done. And Manasseh has that period where he repents and he turns to the Lord and then he dies and his son, Amon, Josiah's father takes over and the scripture says for two years, Amon went right back to doing what Manasseh did when he was an evil king. And as I was studying that the other day, I'm just thinking about Josiah and his life and what he learned and what he saw and what he heard all around him was the spirit of evil and doing the opposite of what God wanted his people to do. It reminds me to say today that generational practices are good as long as those generational practices line up with the word of God. There's some people today that say, well, you know, I, I, I can't do that. Or, or, or people say, you know, well, I would do this or that. I would... I would get baptized or I would join the church or I would take a step for Christ, but but my mom and dad or my grandparents would roll over in their grave. I mean, no disrespect, but maybe they need to roll over if you need to do what God's telling you to do. Maybe it would be in your life, in your heritage, that God would put his hand upon you to break the generational curse and the generational sin and for you, maybe not like your grandparents or your parents or your great-grandparents, but for you to change the course of your family by being like Josiah and seeking the Lord with all your heart. The question, the question is this, who was in Josiah's life? We don't find this in the Bible, but who was in Josiah's life that really had a strong impact on him? Now, now thankfully, thankfully, Again, Manasseh, his grandfather. Josiah was born in the first six years of his life. His grandfather was the king, and maybe he had a window there uh, of observing his grandfather changing his ways. But we know that when he was seven and eight years old, his father was the king. Maybe it was Hilkiah the priest who, who had an impact on him at this particular time. It was very common for families to have a regent. A regent would have been like a sit-in nanny or someone who lived with the family and oversaw uh, the uh, business affairs and the, and the daily life of the family, particularly would watch out for the kids. We don't have all of those details. We'll find them out when we get to heaven, but here's what we know. We know that the nation is inebriated with sin, but not Josiah. Josiah was serious about his relationship with God. He has a heart for God. Can I say it one more time? Church, never underestimate our young people and the impact they can have when they turn their heart to God. As they start school this week, man, God, give us us some young men and some young women. And I want to challenge our students in both of the services today. I want to challenge our students. To be salt and life, a salt and light for Christ. Maybe it would be at the start of this school year, there might be one or two a boy or a girl that might say, you know what, I, I want to make, make Josiah my hero. I want to be like him at eight and sixteen and twenty. I want to make an impact for Christ. That would embrace Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number one. It says, Remember now your creator in the days of of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near on which you will say I have no pleasure in them am I speaking to the church today that believes that that christianity that christ and the cross is for young people 85% of the people in the church today say they were saved before the age of 18 so the church is filled with kids and and youth who are making an impact today the church is not for uh, later on in life, after you go through your teen years and maybe your college years and and you sow your wild oats. And I hear people say, well, you know, now that they've been married and now they have a child, so they want to get serious about, about God. Well, that's a good thing. But I suggest you need to get serious long before that. Get serious about God in your youth. Let God use you in your youth because that's exactly how he used Josiah. Josiah got serious personally, when when the crowd and the culture around him was doing its own thing and rebelling against God, Josiah began to seek God with all his heart. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Second thing I want you to see is not only did he get serious personally, but but he made God's word a priority. He made God's word a priority. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago at the end of my sermon. As he began to reform the land, there is a reformation going on in the actual temple that God had told them to build. And, and he sends the high priest in there to do an inventory to find out about the tinsels and the silver and the gold. What's in there? What do we have? And as Hilkiah is looking around the temple, a most amazing thing happens. The, the, the scripture says that he found the book. He found the book. Can you imagine? I know some of you. Don't raise your hand. You've lost your Bible before. You found it in the back floorboard of your car or something like that. Come on, get honest now. But imagine imagine the church, the temple, and they can't find the Bible. Where is it? Oh, we've got good news. We found the Bible. Well, the next question is, what are we going to do with it? Well, let's blow the dust off of it and start using it. Amen? So what does Josiah do? I love this. He made God's word a priority once again among the people. You know what that means? That means there was a season of time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eye. They were going their own way. They were were engaged in Canaanite worship of the false god. They were involved in other religions. They had gotten away from being God's people, and Josiah says it's not going to stay that way. 2 Kings chapter 22 mirrors 2 Chronicles chapter 34, there's some questions about the reforms that take place. Just watch. If you if you look at those two passages, there seems to be a little bit of an issue about the time frame or the chronology. It seems, if you read Kings, that there first of all was a discovery of the law. There's a covenant made with God. The people get their worship right, and we'll see in just a minute, they observe the Passover. But the book of Chronicles implies that they got their worship right, and then they discovered the law, made a covenant with God, and observed the Passover. Well, what I want to focus with you is what happened in the text that I read. 2 Kings 23, verse number 2, it says that Josiah took that book that was found in the temple, and he read it in their hearing. All the words. Did y'all hear that? all the words, all the words. He read the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And what else did he do? The king stood by the pillar and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. Watch this. He He's saying to the people, I'm going to read this to you but we're going to act on what we've read. We are going to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people joined in the covenant. So what did they do? Again, scholars debate this. Maybe the book they found was the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Maybe the book that they found was Deuteronomy, just the book of the law. We're not sure. But nonetheless, Josiah took the time to read every single word in that book to the people. You know what he's saying to them by doing that? That God's word matters. God's word matters. And I just say to you today, God's word matters. Every page, Every verse, every word, every line matters. There is a question though today in your life and in my life. Will we have a knowledge of the scripture and then not act on it? In other words, it's easy to fall into a trap of of believing, but not behaving on what you have just read. So Josiah said, all right, everybody listen up. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make a personal covenant with God. I want to keep his statutes, his commandments, and his testimonies. And here's what I'm going to do, and I'm challenging you today to do, is to perform the words of this covenant. When you hear the word of the Lord, you have a decision to make. You know that? Every Sunday when you come to church and you hear the scriptures, you've got a decision to make. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to live it out? Are, are we going to perform the words of this covenant written in the book? I love the response of the people, and I've been praying this week that maybe I'd get this response from you today. All the people joined in and said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Is that your heart today? That whatever God says, let's do it. Let's just do it because it's the word of God. It's the word of God that changes us. Now, stay with me for just a minute Sometimes I think we we fall into this trap in the church of, of emotional manipulation. I think sometimes we make decisions for Christ and maybe it, it's forced by our circumstances. But I challenge you today that what we need is we need the pure, unadulterated Word of God because it's the book that brings lasting change in our lives. George Whitfield preaching in that first great awakening said, the reformation which is brought about by a coercive power will only be outward and superficial, but that which is done by God's word will be inward and it will be lasting. In other words, I can tr- twist your arm today and get you to do some things and serve and, and 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 be involved, but you know what? You know what really brings lasting change in your life is not my My coercive power, but it is God's Word changing your life. And then you want your life to line up with His Word. How many of you found yourself in your journey kind of like the nation of Israel that quite often you need to realign your values and your beliefs with the way you're living? What's the best way to do that? By getting our nose in the Scriptures, making sure that our life lines up with the Word of God. That's what brings lasting. Spiritual change. That's what brings us into a place of acceptable worship. Not only did he make God's word a priority, but I want you to notice what else he did. Josiah, Josiah removed all of the idols. Now read 2 Chronicles 34, verses 1 through 7 as your homework assignment. All right. I'm not going to read it right now, but I but here's I was reading it the other day, and something really stood out to me. I noticed the personal pronoun he, he. Josiah did not just give instructions to the people around him of what he wanted done, but he was engaged in this process. Josiah led the charge. He was was proactive. What he found was that the land was cluttered with pagan shrines and altars. And he said to the people, we got to clear this mess out of here we got to get rid of these idols. I want to pause for just a minute and suggest to you that you and I live in a land today that is filled with idols, filled with idols. Now hear me. Idols do not just come in the form of stone or masonry, wood, wooden statues. As a matter of fact, I would guess, I would hope that Maybe almost all of us today would not have any kind of statutes in our backyard or front yard or on the mantel or on the hearth because we've read the Bible. <laughs> and it says that in the Ten Commandments, it's very clear you, you, you don't make any graven images, you don't worship anything except Jesus Christ crucified. That we keep our eyes on him. We have, no, we have no statues, no graven images. But yet I suggest to you that. Unfortunately, our lives are cluttered with idols. Sometimes there are good things, good things in our lives that become bad things because we misappropriate our affection. And maybe today you don't need to go break up the high places and take a bat and knock down some statues or some idols, but what you need to do in your own life is to just spend a moment of evaluation and ask yourself, is there there anything in my life that is producing clutter? Is there anything in my life that that has my attention more than Christ? It might be your career. It might be your bank account. It might be your uh, toys that you have. it It might be athletics or sports or so many other things. All of those things are not bad in and of themselves, but But when our minds and our hearts are turned to those things, more than our relationship with Christ, they become idols in our lives. We have to cast them down. We have to remove them. Many of you have heard Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Living, for years. He's getting on up there in years, pastor in Texas. I was just thinking this week, we've seen, I was listening to Adrian Rogers for a little bit, and Of course, Pastor Stanley passed away just a little bit ago, and some of these great Bible teachers are getting on up there in years. I love Chuck Swindoll, and he said about our lives as it relates to idols, that it's easy to get attached to idols, to good things inappropriately adored. But when you have Jesus in the center of a room, everything only junks up the decor. When, When Jesus... Is in the center of your life, when Jesus is at the center of your church, when Jesus is at the center of your family, there needs to be a regular time of looking around and seeing if there's anything junking up the decor. Is there anything in your life that you need to remove? Just as Josiah led this reformation, he said, We're going to get the bad things out and we're going to replace the bad things with good things. I love A.W. Tozer. He said, an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hands. So your idols may just be in your mind today. It may be in your thought process. What are you thinking the most about? That could be the idol in your life. When we come before God, even in our daily worship and in a public setting like this, we always have to evaluate our our heart and our mind and our hands And that's why I love Psalm 24 so much. The picture of going to the temple, the place of the holy of holies there in Jerusalem, and the psalmist write, who who will ascend? Who will go up to the hill of the Lord, to the place of worship, to the the presence of God? It's those who have clean hands and they have a pure heart. You know what that means? That means we need to get the idols out of our lives. Josiah led in spiritual reformation by getting himself personally focused, by making the Word of God a priority, by getting the idols out of the land and getting the people back in their attention toward God. But I want you to notice another thing. He he put the house of God in order. In 2 Kings 22 verses 3 through 7, Manasseh and his father Ammon had neglected the temple they had neglected the house of god as a matter of fact the scripture says that the house of god is in disrep- disrepair and Josiah wouldn't stand for that any longer he said we're going to put the house of god in order we're going to make it a top priority and read the scripture will you that's your homework assignment read the text it says that he gathered up the masons and the woodworkers and and the construction people and and, and and he focused the money and the attention on, on getting the house of God back to where it was supposed to be. Let me ask you something. Whose idea was it to build a temple? It wasn't Solomon's. It wasn't David's. It was God's. And God said, this is the way I want it to be built. This is the materials I want to be used. This is the way I want worship to be conducted. How many of you remember about a month ago when we talked about following God's divine design, His order, Josiah said, hey, we've gotten off track here. We have neglected the most important thing, the holy of holies. Josiah said, we've got to get the ark back in the right place. We've got to get the right priorities. We've got to put God's house in order. I want you to notice something else in the scripture that I find interesting. In 2 Kings 23 verse number 12, he's talking here about his, his grandfather. Well, it, says, it starts by the altars of the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz. That's King Ahaz. We know he was a bad dude. He had built altars on the roof and probably involved in astrology and the stars and the moon and so forth, which the kings of Judah had made. Notice the next phrase, and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down. And he broke them into pieces. He cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. His grandfather in the house of the Lord had built two altars to other gods. And Josiah said, I don't care what my granddaddy did. We're going to get this out of here. And we're going to set the house of God in order. May we today, may we today, Christian church, may we once again get focused on making the house of God a priority? Now, let me say, I know what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are the temple. Christ lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. I totally understand that. I know that, that this place is not the place that God hangs out all week and he's waiting on us to come see him on Sunday. This is not like going to visit your grandmother. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. I totally understand that. But I believe that God instituted the church, the, the gathered body of Christ. And I believe that every Christian has a duty and a responsibility to make the church a priority in their life. Don't be casual. Don't be nonchalant. Because here's the deal. Parents, let me remind you on this back to school Sunday, what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. Can I say that again? That's not a Bible verse, but I'm going to say it again. What we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. We are setting an example for them. You know what? I want Lexi Coleman. You said, well, you're the pastor. You got to go to church. Well, there's some truth in that, but I want Lexi Coleman to know as long as she's under our roof that the house of god is important and it matters and we care and that should be true in all of our lives just so i said hey we've neglected we've neglected the house of the lord let's get the temple back in order let's get it restored which let me finish which ultimately led him to the restoration of biblical worship we're going to worship god the way he wants to be worshiped not the way we want to worship. It's not my idea. Too many people today are focused on what we want and what we like and what we desire when we need to be focused on what God wants. What does God want? To show you the kind of spiritual condition they were in. You've read Exodus chapter 12 where God told the people, I, I want you to have a Passover, I want you to observe the Passover. And I want you to remember, I don't want you to ever forget where you were. You were in bondage for 430 years. By my grace, I've delivered you. I raised up Moses, I brought you out. I want you to remember sprinkling that blood over the doorpost and the saving of the firstborn in every family. When you get down the road, I don't want you to forget what I did for you. I want you to remember. So I want you to observe a Passover. But as you read through your Bible, here's what you find. Look on the screen. 2 Corinthians 23 verse 21. The king commanded all the people to keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Look at verse 22 of chapter 23 for no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judge. Can you believe that? Some scholars say maybe, maybe there had not been a passover since Joshua chapter 5 and the passover that was kept at Gilgal. God's covenant people had gotten away from not only obedience but from worshiping God in the way he wanted to be worshiped. Josiah, being the leader and the reformer he was, he says, All right, everybody, we're going to get the temple right. We're going to get it in order. We're going to restore it. We're going to get the ark in place. And here's what we're about to do we're going to have a Passover. And we're going to appoint priests, priests that are accepted and approved by God. Remember Jeroboam? He appointed his own priest or priest that just wanted to have that position, but nope. Josiah said, we're going to appoint the right priest. We're going to get everybody in place. And we're going to get the Passover lamb. There's Jesus in the story, right? We're going to get the Passover lamb, and we're going to sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. Read 2 Chronicles chapter 35. He reinstituted the Passover the Passover was remembrance, remembrance, remembrance. Why do, we, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? We remember, right? We remember what the Lord has done for us. And there's a beautiful picture here of worship. As you get some years on you in your Christian journey, it's always a good thing to go back and remember when the Lord saved you. Amen? When you remember, I was 13 years old. I'll never forget it. I was on a youth retreat. I was at Gunnersville Lake, Gunnersville, Alabama. There's some really good bass fishing up there, by the way. I was on that bank, and the Lord did a work in my heart that night. and I repented of my sins, and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That was now, what, 38 years ago? And here I am, 51, and, and I have to often ask myself, have, have, have uh, sometimes gotten over being saved, you know? When you first get saved, man, you're all excited about it, and then you start that journey with the Lord, and the world beats on you, and then you get that, that allure of the things of this world, and man, you got saved, and you want to serve the Lord, then over here, you something comes into your life, and you don't set out to make it an idol, but it just does, and then you have that that awareness, the Holy Spirit works in your life and says, whoa, wait a minute here, wait a minute. Wake up. As he told the church at Ephesus, you've lost your first love. Get back over here where you need to be.